0: Good. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn uh, with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. You're going to find that in the church Bibles on page 1219. Hopefully we've got a... there it is. Um, This week we continue our series looking through this book of 1 Peter, a letter written to the church in an area called Asia Minor. We typically know that as... Turkey uh, today. And it would be fair to say that church life for the early church in AD 60, AD 62, would be hugely different to church life that we We know now in Western civilization. They were were living under a huge measure of persecution. They were in exile. They were suffering for their faith in a way which we don't. The reality for us as 21st century church in Western Britain is, is super different. It's removed from that of the church in Asia Minor. Yet, this passage in 1 Peter wants to tell us that we are also aliens, that we are also exiles, and that we can expect to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And the question I want to ask you this morning, I want to kind of have going through your mind is, what is it that you are living for? This week, uh, one of our members, Betty Solcom, she celebrated her 100th birthday. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Do you know, What's more amazing than that is that Betty gave her life to Jesus when she was six years old. So for 94 years... She has been praising God, declaring his glory, saying yes to him, and living out that gospel call in her life. And actually, the words behind her, just on that uh, little kind of poster they made for her, uh, is Psalm 100. It says this, it says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name forever. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And we just heard from our our young people here, about Perry, who's come up and said he's connected with God in a new, new way. And of course, actually, Betty's story is often not the case. When I was their age, I took one of my closest friends away to a Christian conference, and he was a complete non-believer. He didn't know Jesus. So I took him away, and I'd been talking to him about Jesus over a number of years, and he'd come away in this camp. And one of the evening meetings, he said yes to Jesus. He, he gave his life. He danced up to the front of the stage. He went through this prayer with the people leading the meeting, and he he committed his life to Jesus. But actually, his story didn't continue in that vein. Over the months that followed, he said yes to the world more than he said yes to Jesus. He decided to give himself back to the, the things that he was always used to doing instead of pushing into knowing Jesus. And it's a a picture, it's a story we know, isn't it? Of people committing their lives to Jesus and then falling away. The love of the world kind of capturing them up. And we also see this in Scripture as well. A couple of times Paul wrote, and he he mentions a whole load of people that he's working with. And one of the people he mentions in a very small book of Philemon is a man named Demas, he just says this, he says to Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow co-workers. He just lists their names. He says, these are the guys I'm currently working with as he wrote this letter to Philemon. And he just describes him as a fellow worker. He was someone working alongside him. And yet when he writes to Timothy, about five or six years later, it says this, it says, do your best to come to me quickly, this is to Timothy, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. So it happened even 2,000 years ago. And if our young people were here right now, it would be a good moment to pray for them, wouldn't it? To say that our prayer for them that is even in the midst of everything they're going through, in those moments when they say yes to Jesus, that it wouldn't be a fleeting yes, but would be something which captures their hearts. For all their lives. So that in their end days when they are either 80, 90 or maybe even 100. They can declare Jesus as Lord. And it's my prayer for us as church as well. That in all the different generations represented in this room, represented in our children's hall, represented with our young people, that when we say yes to Jesus, that would be a moment when our whole life trajectory has changed. And instead of living for ourselves, we choose to live for God. So let's read these verses in 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 1 all the way across to verse 11 or 12. Let's read this together it says this it says therefore since Christ suffered in his body arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin as a result they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desi- evil human desires but rather for the will of God if you have spent enough time In the past, doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead." For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that, you, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins." Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever Amen. On the wall behind you are three words which we use as a church to summarize what we're caught up on. Adventure, purity, and compassion. And these three simple axioms, they they say what we believe in and they say the mission that we're caught up on. on. But actually, it's really easy to walk past those every week and just think, oh, that's a plank of wood on the wall. But actually, we do believe that this is... Is important. We want to be a community here in Paul Bournemouth and Christchurch who pursue purity. We want to be a community which is committed to compassion, to showing compassion, and a community which ventures together for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray in them all. We'll Father, I thank you that we have these words here in 1 Peter which will teach us, which will instruct us, which will show how you were moving 2,000 years ago and how you are moving here right now in Paul. Lord, I pray that as we just unpack these few verses and just think of some truths which we can apply to our lives, would you open our hearts to receive from you? Would we have our hearts brought in line with you? And would we know that we are your church on your uh, mission for this world, to pursue purity, to to show compassion, and to live our lives at venture for you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, Andrew Haslam uh, wrote a re- recent blog post thinking about the, a, a gap between if we were to stand back in the 1920s and look 100 years in the future, what 2020 would look like. And he wrote this. He said, if you could step back 100 years to 20, 1920 and describe what was coming to 20, in 2020, it would literally sound like some version of paradise. Everyone would be wealthier. There would be fewer constraints enforced, enough, enforced on us by religion. Each person would be free to choose their own path in life. There would be a constant flow of entertainment fed into our homes and into our hands. You can go anywhere you want in the world for virtually no money. The local shops would have the best ingredients sourced from around the globe. You can find... Throw away the clothes at the end of the season and buy new clothes at rock-bottom prices. You can warm your home in minutes. You can use the toilet indoors. And you can wash wash yourself under freshly heated water from a pipe in the wall. There will be cures for most diseases. You will live longer and you won't need to wash your clothes and dishes by hand. You will have machines which do that for, for you. It would have looked like paradise, wouldn't it? If you looked 100 years ago and said, you are going to have all of this. And he goes on to say, but of course, it hasn't worked. Even though every part of our lives is surrounded by comfort and technology that promotes ease, even though those, these tastes and experiences and sensations are available that our grandparents and great-grandparents couldn't even imagine, even though the, we have an exceptional level of personal freedom and liberty, with the result that there are very few things you can't do, despite all of this, we are no happier. If we were to categorize all of those things that we often pursue, there's a word that we could use to, to do that, and it's, it's hedonism. It's basically pursuing your own desires, pursuing your own purpose, about saying that the, the whole purpose of living is to satisfy ourselves. And we can call that broad thing hedonism. And uh, what Peter says, the question Peter poses here is, why should we reject those things? Why should we reject drunken living? Why should we reject uh, debauchery? Why should we reject our own self-gratification? And instead, choose to live a life for Jesus and choose to live a life for God, because that's what the opening verses here say. In fact, the very idea that we would reject our own self-serving is one which the people who are looking at us are going to laugh at. They're going to think we're crazy. Why would you do that? It says that they're going to heap scorn and abuse on them because of that. Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes, some 3,000 years earlier, he wrote this in Ecclesiastes 2. He said, I said in my, in, in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was all vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what you... Is it I searched my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still gui- my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, I built houses, I planted vineyards for myself, I made myself gardens and parks, and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than anyone in, who had before me in the whole of Jerusalem. I gathered myself silver and gold and treasure and kings from the kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delights of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Hedonism right there. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. Then I considered all my hands had done, and I expended in doing. And behold, this is what he says, all was vanity. It was striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Why? Why should we reject hedonism? Because of this. It's like striving after the wind. It brings a promise of happiness. It, it sows a seed that you can have everything. And actually, when you go and pursue it, it's like chasing the winds. You never catch up with it. And a couple of things from here just to, to dwell on. Sin is more like cancer than it is cake. It's, it's, it's not good for us. It might taste great to start with, but actually when we choose to plunge ourselves into sinful living, it destroys the very thing which God wants for us, to be in union with him. And secondly, we will all be held accountable for our sin. In the end, sin, all sin will be judged by a perfect judge who sits on the throne and we will have to stand before him, and in the end, unaccounted sin will result in separation from him. So if we are to reject hedonism, reject living a life for ourselves, and we choose to live our lives to God, why is it then that in that moment, in that choice, that we should suffer. Look at the opening verse. It says this, therefore, since Christ suffered it in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude because whoever suffers in his body has finished with sin. Peter is writing to this church in Asia Minor. He's telling them that they should prepare themselves as believers to suffer. Why? Why? Because showing a commitment to suffer does a number of things. But first and foremost, it shows evidence that sin's power is broken in your lives. The point is not that believers who suffer have attained some kind of godly perfection that they are now suffering. It's that by being prepared to suffer... By being willing to endure scorn and mockery and isolation and people to heap abuse upon us, we show that actually what's happened is that sin has been triumphed over in our lives. We have broken sin because they have ceased to participate in lawless activities. So being prepared to suffer and suffering is an outward sign that instead of choosing pleasure, you've chosen purity. And that's what we want for you and that's what I want for myself is that we would choose to pursue purity over pleasure, holiness over hedonism. Tim Keller says, he says, suffering is at the heart of the Christian faith. It is not only the way that Christ became like and redeemed us, but is one of the main ways we become like him and experience his redemption. And that means that our suffering, despite its painfulness, is also filled with purpose and usefulness. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never accepted the message of the gospel. You've never crossed that line of faith. And this message that I'm bringing this morning, that rejecting our own pleasure, rejecting our own self-serving, might seem like complete madness to you. It might be a complete foreign language. Well, 1 Peter 4 paints a really clear picture. It says that all of us will have to give account to our actions. To who? To Jesus, who is the judge over both the living and the dead. And if you were to take all of the Bible and kind of draw a big picture of what was going on, draw out a thread, it's this, that, that man has rejected God. Man rejected God and chose to serve himself. And if that's you this morning and you've never never said yes to Jesus. A word we use in church all the time is, called, is, is the gospel, often referring to the first four books in the New Testament. Actually, it just, just means good news, quite simply means good news to those who accept Jesus. And The gospel is this, that Jesus Christ the Son of God stepped down into this world and lived a sinless life amongst a sinful race and endured suffering and pain on the cross and he was crucified in the most brutal of fashion so that when that end time comes, when the living and the dead are judged, everyone who has accepted Jesus will find their salvation in him. And so this is the choice set before you. By saying yes to Jesus, and sorry for the things we've done wrong, and saying I'm going to trust in you, and I'm going to choose to live for you, I'm going to choose to pursue purity as opposed to pleasure, you can be caught up in Jesus' family and brought in to a place of salvation. Why, Why would we pursue purity instead of pleasure? Why should we be prepared to suffer? Because Christ has won us at a great price, because Christ has given his life for us that we might be called his family. So we are to pursue purity. He calls us as a community to do that. He also calls us as a community to show Compassion to each other as co workers in Christ. And so I spent half my time talking about pursuing purity, and I spent the other half of my time giving kind of six practical ways we can show compassion and be caught up on adventure. And they're really simply listed in the text. It doesn't, there's no kind of big theological bridge to kind of cross for us. Point one is that we are to love each other deeply. We're to do love each other deeply. I've been teaching now for almost 10 years, and over those 10 years, I've been taught lots of ways in which I should teach, and I've learned a lot of ways in which I shouldn't teach the hard way. Some of the things I've been taught is about cognitive load theories, childhood development schemas, catering for individual learning styles, about how I set my classroom up, about different kind of lesson structures, and all of those things are all important, but ultimately are worthless unless the child who is sat before me knows one simple truth, that I care about them. All, I, I, have, I have no avenue for learning to take place if a child does not believe there. You see, many films and books and popular culture would portray love as a thing that conquers all. The point here is, not, is Peter's not saying that. He's saying that love covers over a multitude of sins. He doesn't, he's not saying that love conquers all. It's about a community's love for each other. You see, when we, when we love each other deeply, when that time comes when we do mess up, when we do sin against each other, when we, we do just get it wrong, our relationship has a certain measure of collateral which helps it to endure, which helps it to, to thrive. That even when we mess up, it's not destroyed. So here's my kind of thought. Don't let love be like a book on the shelf which just gathers dust. Practice it daily. Show love for each other. One of the ways we can do that is to offer hospitality without grumbling. You know, uh, no church... Or well, this church certainly can't function without food. And to come in this morning and there not be food is particularly painful for me and for my daughter, who's going to be going, Where's the brioche? But, you know, we can't function without food. But it, this is more than just tea or coffee served at the back of church, isn't it? This is about us as a people sharing a meal together, feasting together, enjoying community action together. And we do that by opening our homes. And you know, this has not changed for thousands of years. For the early church in Asia Minor, the way in which church would have happened would have been in their homes. They'd have gathered together, and the biggest room would have been the dining room. And they'd have gathered in the dining room, they'd have had a meal together, and they would have done church with one another. And of course, Jesus came And he he gave us a meal. He instituted the meal of communion, this meal for believers that when we come and we take the bread and the wine together, we are remembering the price that Jesus paid, but we're also caught up together in feasting with all the other millions and billions of other believers across this globe who are saying yes to Jesus. And whilst this morning our communion tables are empty for practical reasons and Actually, maybe there's some life things you could change in the way you do uh, communion this week. Maybe it's a life group communion could work. Functionally, you can think about a way of doing that. Maybe it's sitting down when you have your meal in the evening. You make communion in one of those courses in your meal. And you think about the way that that could play out for you. And so we, we demonstrate compassion in this way by opening our homes to be hospitable. Firstly, to each other. We need to be hospitable to each other, but also to demonstrate the love of Christ to those non-believers that we invite into our homes. And so if you're not having non-believers through your doors, it's a really easy way to demonstrate Christ's compassion because he's been compassionate to you. So invite people into your homes. Thirdly, we are to serve others with the gifts that God has provided for you and be faithful stewards in that. A few weeks ago, we We told a story that Jesus tells, a parable where three servants went off and a master went off and he left three servants in charge of different amounts of gold. And he said, do with it what you see. And once two of them took that gold and they invested it and they they had a return on their investment, they worked the land. And when the master came back, he could see that they had doubled their investment. And the third slave was so terrified of his master that all he chose to do was to bury uh, bury his gold in the sand. And when his master came back, he dug it up and said, look, I've not lost it at least. That's that's not what God's calling us to. We're not called to bury what God has given us, the gifts and the the many talents that were represented in this room. He's called us to be faithful stewards, stewards with them, to serve one another, to demonstrate Christ's compassion for us through the gifts he's given to us. Christian living and mission as exiles is about compassion. It's about recognizing that those around us who don't know Christ are actually in desperate need. They're in desperate need of compassion, of reconciliation, the compassion of the Father in heaven. And no matter what they do, the void cannot be covered by good living, by being a good moral citizens. And when we love each other and love our communities, when we offer hospitality within this body and offer hospitality to our communities, and when we serve our communities, we show and demonstrate Christ's compassion. We become attractive. We become a place where people want to be. We build avenues through which the gospel can travel. Just like my classroom, the only avenue through which learning really occurs is through relationship. It's the same with the gospel. People see the good news when they see it at work in our lives. So let's be a community of compassion. But let's also be a community of Adventurers, be on adventure. Verse 11 says, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You know, to be on adventure with Christ as exiles in a land requires a really simple thing to happen. Really not a difficult thing, and we it is just this to speak. We should not be silent with what Christ has done for us, and we should speak as one who speaks with the very words of God. Do you know that in that moment when you first accepted Jesus, like most of the people in this room and you accepted Him as your Savior, and you laid your life down Him, a miracle occurred. An actual miracle occurred, because your, your rightful judgment, your rightful penalty, the, the, the judgment which was due to you was no longer accounted to you, but was instead passed over to Jesus. Death was removed from you in a miraculous instance, and you were instead found to have life and righteousness. It was a miracle And in that divine moment, in the heavenly realms, you are found holy and just before God. And our call, our adventure, as people who bear now the image of God, is to go out into this world and to speak as image bearers with the purpose of making more people image bearers of Christ. We are to speak this good news. Mark 16 says. Go into all of the world and preach the gospel to all of creation the written call for the believers is to make disciples of all nations and um, we haven 't got time to unpack lots of ways that we can do that but Matt has so helpfully um, talked about the opportunities of our current health situation and um, this is i 'll just read this extract to you of a letter that um uh, one of our friends has written to their local conurbation, their, their immediate road, it says this. It says, as the government makes plans for how we deal with the corona crisis in the UK, it's likely that some of you will face some challenges, whether it's finding toilet paper, being desperately in need of sugar for your tea, needing childcare or needing important medicine. This is an opportunity for us to support each other. So we're recommending setting up a WhatsApp group so that we may communicate with each other, especially as we expect face the prospect of social isolation. If you'd like to join this, then do contact us. Hannah and I this morning wrote, wrote our version of that note and we're going to deliver it this afternoon to our local community. We've kind of decided on a, on a region, kind of we're going to go from this house to this house and we're going to say we're going to try and be proactive. This part of our adventure, isn't it? This is a moment, you know, Hannah and I have been notoriously bad at connecting with our neighbours in any meaningful way. This is an opportunity for us to say, yes, we're going to speak about Jesus and we're going to talk about the gospel in this and we're just going to show compassion to start with we're going to be hospitable in whichever way that looks but actually this is about us building a relationship because actually what our neighbors really need is to connect with jesus to to know him and i want that to be what comes out of this secondly um we are to act in god's strength and not our strength Some of us find talking about Jesus heart, Actually, well, that's probably all of us, to be honest. We find talking about Jesus heart. And often we find there's some measure of embarrassment, social isolation. What will people think about me? How will I be viewed? What effect will it have on my employment? Will I lose my friends? We find it hard. But actually, he doesn't say go about and try and do this as best you can and somehow muster up the inner strength to make this happen. He's saying, no, I want you to speak about Jesus through the strength, and the source is supposed to be God's strength. It says in Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Speaking about Jesus is an outworking of the Holy Spirit action. And if you're struggling this morning or have struggled over many years to speak about Jesus, the way in which we should do it First is to say, Holy Spirit, come, would you be on me to make me a witness for you? Because it's Holy Spirit at work which helps us and gives us the strength to do that. And finally, in all things, Jesus Christ is to be praised. This church, this Christian community here serving Paul and Bournemouth from and Christchurch exists. To bring the Father praise, so that in all things, God be praised. We should pursue adventure as a people, as a church together, as a, as a mission team, on adventure for Him, with this one core cool truth that we ourselves give praise to Jesus, but also bring more people in to praise Him. John Stott, in his book, Uh, The Cross of Christ, this would be a good meaty read if you ever have to to self-isolate. It says says this, it says, The Christian community is a community of the cross, for it has been brought into being by the cross. And the focus of its worship is the Lamb, once slain, now glorified. Glorified. So the community of the cross is a community of celebration, a Eucharist community, ceaselessly, ceaselessly offering to God through Christ the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Now, as image bearers of Christ, we both exercise our relational unity with God, but also our missional. Called to reach those around us. We are caught up on mission together. And ultimately, mission will not be our final calling. Praise will. Mission will stop. In the end times, there will be no mission because judgment will have come, and the time will be over, and we'll be endlessly praising. But at the moment, there's this kind of coexistence of both mission and praise. We are called to praise Jesus. And we are called to go out on mission. And so we think about those, those three words, adventure, purity, and compassion. Purity, compassion, compassion and adventure. Just think of some applications for us. Have there been moments in your life where you've pursued your own self-worth? Where you've instead chosen to pursue pleasure instead of purity? Maybe you need to come before Jesus this morning and say, go and I just repent of that attitude and I choose to live for you first. I think we need to raise our game about how we love deeply. See, sometimes it's really easy to love those we like but God calls us to love all of those around us and he asks us to do it deeply, not shallow but a kind of a deep love for those around us. It's going to it's going to demonstrate Christ's compassion in this difficult and tricky time that our country is going through. And thirdly, maybe, maybe you've not found it easy to just share the message of the gospel. To demonstrate that you're on an adventure with Him. The Holy Spirit wants to get hold of you this morning. And He wants to put something in you. Because without that power, it's going to be really difficult. You cannot do it on your own strength. So, maybe come before him as we worship in a moment and say, Holy Spirit, would you be on me? Would you show me what it means to be on adventure for you? Why don't we stand and pray together? And the band will come up and we'll worship for our last few moments. Father, I thank you that um, this letter written to your church is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Lord, that the words in here are truth, that they are good to us and that they do our soul good when we open them. Lord, we pray for us as a church as we recognize that we are in unique times in terms of what's going on in our nation. And we just ask right now that you would be sovereign Lord, that we wouldn't give in to fear. Lord, that we would trust you. Lord, that we would be a church which demonstrates purity, which demonstrates compassion. Lord, that we would love those around us deeply. Lord, that we would demonstrate the love that which we know in our hearts to those around us. Lord, I pray that what comes of the next few months would be, gospel truth being proclaimed and the church growing and showing its colors as the only way for salvation. So I pray for us as church that we would be caught up on mission together. Lord, that we would be adventurous for you. Lord, that we would not have our lives tainted by The life of Demas, who the love of the world stole away his mission for you, but instead would be more like Betty, who 96 years on demonstrates Christ's love in a way which we should admire and strive after. To God, would you come come to us now, Lord? Would you reveal yourself for your Holy Spirit? And would you strengthen our hearts as we worship you, Lord Jesus? Amen? Amen. Amen.